Screenless. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Creative Cuppa. I'm Gareth Davis, I'm a composer for TV and an audio producer and in each episode I chat with someone working in the many creative industries about their journey and their work. There are a load of episodes to make your way through with all sorts of lovely people so if you have 15 minutes to spare and want to dive in then just look up Creative Cuppa in your podcast app or head to creativecuppa.uk for all the info. Now, there are mild spoilers for the TV drama Mayor of Easttown in this chat with Naomi. So if you haven't seen it yet, and you really should, then I suggest you hit pause and come back when you're done. I couldn't quite believe my luck when Naomi agreed to join me for a chat. Like many of you, I was blown away by Mayor of Easttown. So it's really not surprising it's been nominated for multiple Emmys. Anyway, without further ado, if you have a cuppa in hand, here we go. Naomi Sunrise Filaramo, TV and film editor. Welcome to Creative Cuppa. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Surely one of the best names in the business. <laughs> I couldn't quite believe it when I saw it. And I know a composer called Daisy Cool. Ooh. I mean, what a great name. That is a good name. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, for our listeners, what exactly does a TV and film editor and an assistant editor do? Oh, gosh. Um that's a whole podcast in and of itself. <laughs> well, so a television and film editor generally starts working the minute um, a production is shooting, uh, sometimes a little bit in advance. And you get the dailies, formerly known as the rushes, you know, back from the film days. But so basically, you know, the crew shoots, the footage gets processed, and it comes to you. Uh, your assistant editor or editors prep the footage, um, and that can mean all sorts of things, uh, often you know, checking sync, grouping multiple cameras together, preparing the bins the way you like them. Bins, another throwback to the film days. Uh, we still call them bins, but you know, they're not, not the actual bins. Not actual bins anymore. And then you get to work. So you have your dailies, you, you watch your footage, and you start to put the scene together in the way that makes sense to you. You know, keeping in mind all kinds of things, character arcs, overall plot arcs of the story. And yeah, you cut as they shoot and then you keep cutting. And I mean, it's you you wield an immense amount of power as an editor. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, are you, are you directed a lot? for that or are you just that changes from project to project but generally in the beginning no particularly when you're doing the assembly and the editor's cut i mean you're just putting together the scenes the episodes the film the way that it speaks to you the footage the way that it speaks to you and you're crafting performance you're determining pace you're doing sound design and temp scoring i mean you're really creating a whole piece and then you present that cut to the director and then you work with the director on the director's cut and then normally you present that cut to the producers and you work with the producers and so on so you're constantly refining um the level of direction you receive really varies from collaboration to collaboration and it's pretty exciting stuff <laughs> <laughs> so immense power but also immense pressure i suppose because you're 
having to please a, a lot of people. Yes, it can feel that way. I certainly have worked over the course of my career to minimize the pressure aspect of it. I don't think that that informs creativity particularly well. So it can feel that way at times. And you can certainly have your high stress days or your high stress screenings. But I think I think the work is best served when you kind of keep it in perspective and just stay focused on the task at hand. And you've worked as an assistant editor on Grey's Anatomy, American Gods, the Oscar-nominated feature One Night in Miami. Yeah. And also as an editor with features like Sophie Jones and the series Tagged. And I know from a composer's point of view how difficult navigating the TV and film industry can be. How has your journey been and what obstacles have you encountered along the way? I guess the first obstacle was probably my own confidence. This was something that I discovered at a fairly young age that I wanted to do. It didn't feel young at the time. Uh, I was in college. Um, I certainly had no intentions of being a filmmaker. I loved movies, but, you know, that was as far as it went. And then once I discovered editing and felt that it I was just the creative spark that I had been searching for in my, you know, again, pretty young life <laughs> at that time, <laughs> uh, it took a lot to, to really muster the confidence to really go for it. And that beginning struggle was real. I, after undergrad, I moved to New York. I knew there were two places I could go, New York or Los Angeles. I moved to New York. I didn't know anyone. I couldn't afford to work for free. So I did a lot of things in New York and I did very little editing. I worked at a literary agency. I was a barista at a Starbucks in the village. I taught and tutored for the Princeton Review. But I always was trying to figure out how to make this happen and I eventually applied to film school and I got into AFI, um, the American Film Institute, which is a well-known program here in the States and one of the few programs that offers a master's degree in editing specifically. Um, So that was for me a really big opportunity and it was scary, but I took it. And then those years were tough too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, experience imposter syndrome. I certainly did. And really struggled with feeling like I belonged there and that I had made the right choice for myself. When you're saying when you were in college, you didn't particularly have aspirations to work in the TV and film industry. Did you have aspirations to work as something? Oh, yeah. No, I I went to Mount Holyoke. What were you thinking? I went to Mount Holyoke College. um, It's one of the seven sisters. And I went there to major in international relations. Oh, wow. Which I did. And I did complete both majors, actually. They didn't actually have a film major at the time I was a student there. I had to create my own uh, once I decided I wanted to do that. But you benefit there from being part of a five college consortium. So I took a lot of film classes off campus um, at Hampshire College. And... um, But no, I was very much on that path. And I actually had the most amazing opportunity recently to call up my college advisor and thank him, Vinny Ferraro. He was the chair of the department at that time. And I lucked into having him as my advisor. And I met with him for the first time. We were going over my schedule and I I don't remember what I said, but I I must have complained in some way about the fact that I was taking calculus uh, to fulfill my math requirement because I had taken calculus in high school and it was the first math class I didn't particularly enjoy. And uh, he asked me why I was taking it. And I said, well, that's what good students do. You know, I was very, very academically minded. I'd been valedictorian of my little high school class. And, uh, and he said, I don't know, is it all right to curse on your program? I can beep it out. (laughs) Okay. He said, quite literally, that, take something else. (laughs) 
And that was just the first of many, many words of wisdom that he offered to me over my four years at Mount Holyoke. But uh, so I did take something else. And in the same time slot was Film 101. And so that was how I got started on that. I didn't even know you could watch movies for credit. I mean, this was insanity to me. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's talk about Mayor of Easttown, for which you have been Emmy nominated. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I was absolutely gripped. And when we'd finished watching, uh, my wife and I were chatting about why it was so good. And to me, the pacing and the editing played a massive part in how enjoyable it was, which it's why it's so nice to chat with you now. How did the series come about for you and what did a normal day look like on that production from your perspective? Sure. Yeah. So when that series got started, I was still working on One Night in Miami. Um, so they had begun filming uh, prior to lockdown and Amy Duddleston, my co-editor, was working on that at the time. And then, you know, like many things, production got shut down. And production went on a hiatus, but Amy kept working over that summer uh, with the material. They had shot, I think, about half of the series at that point. Everything was block, was it a block shooting, which means you're shooting all episodes at all times. Um, so it's more location based and, and actor availability based. You're not shooting things in the order they're going to, to show up. So she kept working and she reached out to me you know, asking if I might be interested in coming on when they started shooting again. She knew that she was going to need another editor. There had been initially two editors on the series. And I said, absolutely. It seems like the timing is going to work out perfectly for this. And, you know, you know that I am always looking for this opportunity to, to get to edit. I spent a long time as an assistant and I learned a great deal. Uh, but there was certainly a moment that came where I felt very ready to step in to the editor's seat and just kept missing chances to be able to do that. Uh, and certainly would take the ones that came and enjoyed those and would take the, the indie films and this and that, you know, but the opportunity to really kind of step into this role. And so we kind of just stayed in touch about it while I was helping to get uh, One Night in Miami uh, finished in time for our premiere at Venice in Toronto. And, you know, it was crazy because that same week that One Night in Miami premiered, Sophie Jones premiered in competition at Deauville. And so that ended up being very, well, just amazing, A, because that was such a small film and we all just, what a labor of love. Um, but timing-wise, it suddenly made me a much more marketable editor. So, you know, it was very fortunate for me in that way. And I, um, I got an agent as a result of that success and the success of One Night in Miami. And that helped me. Uh, Amy Duddleston and our co-producer, Pam Fitzgerald, they were very clear that they wanted to hire me as, as the additional editor. Craig Sobel, the director, had such a great relationship with Amy. He wanted to make sure that she had who she wanted. And so really, it was just a matter of convincing the execs um, to take a chance. You know, it's one of those things when you have worked such a long time as an assistant, it can be difficult for people to see you in another role. So certainly having an agent made me suddenly more marketable and easier to hire. And so, yeah, I think I had about two weeks after I wrapped on One Night in Miami, and then they had started shooting on Mayor of Easttown, and I came on board. At that point, everything was fully remote. Um, I think we still had offices, but I never saw them. So <laughs> I worked out of my little office in my apartment and it was, uh, it was pretty amazing. Honestly, you know, it was just Amy and I would just talk about, you know, what she wanted to cut, what she wanted me to cut. Um, and then I was just, just doing the work, watching the dailies, yeah. cutting the scenes, um, getting them together. 
and talking about them. It was so fun. I've known Amy for a long time. Uh, we met, I guess, you know, seven years ago um, when I was an assistant editor for another editor on a television series that we all worked on. And we became good friends and have stayed in touch. And she has championed my career. And it was really great to suddenly be able to work with her on this level and to really talk about editing and to really, you know, try to solve the, the problems of, of Mayor of Easttown together. Yeah, I'm very interested in the, you mentioned temp tracks. Mm. Did you have direction for that general style or were you coming up with the mood for the, the music? Yeah, there was some groundwork laid before I came on, you know, and some of the stuff that had already been shot and edited. And so there was sort of a tone that I sort of tried to fit into. Amy also at various times did rely on me before we had our music editor, Stephanie Lowry on board, who's amazing to temp scenes. It's something that I had a lot of experience doing and I relish it. I actually, I really enjoy music editing. It's so much fun. And so kind of moved into that mood and then just sort of just trying to find the pieces that made sense. And what I love most of all is when you find one or two scores that really you can keep going back to as you're temping, kind of get those thematic elements to the table, but you don't have them yet. And you're trying to, to make them, you know, so that's, that's always fun. And yeah, I think that, I mean, then when Stephanie came on board, that was amazing too, because I think I had so often as an editor, not had an assistant. So I was definitely doing all the things and as an assistant doing temp scoring and temp sound design was part of my job. And if I was editing, well, then I was also doing those aspects for those, for those scenes and sequences I was cutting. So to have suddenly this vast support in our amazing crew and to have Stephanie on board and to, you know, when I was cutting the assembly of the, the big sequence in Wayne Potts house, the big, you know, sort of uh, showdown in episode five, it was a, it was a big picture edit. And so to be able to get through half of it and realize, okay, I'm at a good point here. Things are going to turn. I can give this over to Stephanie and have her start temp scoring it for me. And we can really work in tandem to get this sequence together. Uh, it was so fun. Really great. Coming from an assistant role into the editor's chair, was that something you found tricky to relinquish control of? Or I, I'm sure you missed doing it. You know, but, it's interesting. You know. I think only very briefly, you know, and I'm fortunate I'm, I'm cutting a series right now and I have an incredible assistant editor and he does amazing sound design. And I have found myself very willing to do almost none now on my assemblies and, and give it to him because he brings something to the table. He brings his unique perspective to the table. Mm. And I think that that's one of the things as an editor, it's so important to always be mindful of is that your crew they have so much to offer you. And so when you are able to, to let go and say like, yes, I could keep, I could keep working on this, but if I give this to someone else, they're going to bring something that I might not have come up with. And again, in that sequence, it's such a, that sequence really was such a team effort, you know? So Stephanie was doing temp scoring I had done some sound design early on, and then I passed it off to one of our assistant editors, Genesis Enriquez, and you know talked a little bit about what I was looking for and let her run with it. And she brought this element that stayed and through the end. And so when you see Mare, she is collapsing and you know bleeding out after finally um, escaping. 
she starts to hear the voice of her son from the documentary that she found on her daughter's laptop. That is an element that Genesis brought to the table. That was oh. a creative inspiration that she had. And if I had sound designed that sequence myself entirely, I don't know that I would ever have thought to do that. And we might not have had that. And it brought so much to that moment. And so it's, it's things like that where it's just, it's so exciting to really have an amazing team and and to be open to really encouraging everyone to bring their best to the table. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of creative collaboration, isn't it? That relinquishing that control and seeing, uh, you know, other people bring things to the table. It's uh, extra special, isn't it? And it can it can be hard at times, right? I mean, I think that it, it can be hard to to let go of your, you know your babies, right? These things that you're, you're, you're working so hard, but when you give yourself that opportunity to let go and to see what someone else is able to bring to it, I mean, just everything flourishes. Fantastic. Well, the very best of luck with your Emmy nomination. Thank you. I mean, there are 16 nominations for, for Mayor of East Town, which I think speaks to the quality of the, the whole production. But the very best of luck. Uh, where can people find you online, Amy? Well, so not many places. <laughs> <laughs> I understand you've recently joined Twitter. I have. I have recently joined Twitter uh, very cautiously, but it's been actually a really great experience. Um, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm at the Naomi Sunrise. And of course, you can look at my credits and IMDb. Fantastic. Well, I shall put that link in the show notes for you so uh, people can come and follow you on Twitter. Thank you. But for now, Naomi Sunrise, Phil Aramo, thank you for joining me for a cuppa. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to Naomi for her time. I really liked when she mentioned that pressure doesn't inform creativity particularly well. The work is best served when you keep it in perspective. I think that speaks to an evolving industry where working all hours on something used to be seen as a strength. But nowadays, I think that including rest and other activities as part of the process can only nourish your work. Speaking of which, Creative Cuppa will be taking a late summer break. I'm finishing off the music for a TV series this month, and so I'll be back in the autumn with more lovely chats with more lovely creative people. If you follow at ScreenlessPod on Twitter, Facebook and or Instagram, uh, you'll see updates about all Screenless content. You can also join the Creative Cuppa Facebook group if you're on there for some more interaction. As always, if you've enjoyed this episode, there are instructions at creativecuppa.uk on how to leave a rating and review. I'm so grateful to those who've done that already. It really helps. This episode was produced by The Sound Boutique, and if you'd like to start your own podcast or need help figuring out your idea, there's a link in the show notes for that too. Until next time then, stay safe, stay kind, and thanks for joining me for a cuppa. Thank mm-hmm. you.